0: There was much more at stake than money when Abraham offered his firstborn son Isaac When God asked for his son Abraham didn't wait to have ten sons before giving Isaac He gave the first when he only had one to give Abraham had only the promise of having more sons It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac Faith that God respected and blessed And God did the same for us he gave his first in the form of his son, his first and only begotten son, who was given to us while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus in faith that we might one day give our lives to him. The gift of his son came before the blessing of our repentance and salvation. We give our first fruits in much the same way. Before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. First fruits of your income says to God, I recognize you first. I am putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest.
1: How many of you have ever had somebody walk up and say, um, "What's up?" Anybody? Here and there. Okay, rest of you. Uh, how about what's new? Anybody ever come up and said what's new? What are they wanting to know when they say what's new? What's going on in your life? And and if you ask a bored, cynical person what's new, what are they going to say? Nothing. Same old, same old. And now here's the interesting thing about that cynical, bored um, point of view. It's not new. Did you know it's in scripture? It's in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes one nine, and it says this: History merely repeats itself; it has been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. This is kind of the Eeyore philosophy of life: Nothing's new. Right now, if you're like me, don't you like having something new to share? I mean, isn't that cool when somebody says, "What's well, new?" and you have something new? For instance, newborn, firstborn parents, firstborn, uh, the parents who have firstborn parents, parents who have their first child. You don't have to ask them what's new. It's everywhere, right? Because you're so excited because you have this life. And then then when you have three or four of them, it's not everywhere because it's old by then. Like I was the fourth of, of of four children, and there are two pictures in the existence of the world of me as a child. And then there's like this shroud that's just been covered over my my life until sometime in grade school. And the only next picture you see, I'm I'm bald. It was a it was a foreshadowing. I'm bald, and and I'm missing teeth, and and I just show up because by the time they got to the fourth, my parents were just bored with taking pictures. So there's two of me as a baby, and I don't know what happened after that. But you don't have to ask parents of newborns, the firstborn, you know, if, if they are excited, if something is new. Now, if somebody gets a new car, aren't they excited to tell you about a new car? Even if it's not a new car, but it's new to you, aren't you excited to have a new car? I mean, if Chase Calloway catches a big fish, you're going to know about it because it's going to be on Facebook. If Brad Gruchner gets a haircut or cuts his beard, it's going to be on Facebook. And, and we are grateful to God that he's no longer auditioning for Duck Dynasty. Where are you, Brad? That's my buddy right there, best dressed man today. He's, he's ready for the for the weather, so it's all right. If Danny Warren wakes up in the morning, there's going to be some random picture of something on the side of the road taken while he's driving, because that's what's new in Danny's life. Is this just right? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Well, you can tell him. You can tell him. That's what happens when you miss. I notice. We all like it when, when we have something new to share. Well, there was, there was once a group of 12 very ordinary men. And if you were to ask them what's new, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, and fishermen and tax collectors did the same thing every day, over and over. If you asked them what was new, they'd say nothing. Same old, same old. Until one day, this man named Jesus showed up and he chose them to come and follow him. And then after that, if you were to ask them what's new, they'd say, Jesus, Jesus, this guy, Jesus, you can't believe what he does. Every day, what's new? Well, Jesus did this. He touched a leper. He cleared the temple. He he healed a blind man. He parted with some tax collectors. He prayed with a prostitute. He cursed a fig tree. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Every day, what's new? Jesus, he did something else spectacular today. In fact, did you know the scriptures say that if everything that was written down that Jesus had done, he said, I suppose the books of the world would not be enough to contain everything that Jesus did. We have such a small picture into Jesus life. And it's spectacular. So these guys, what's new? It's Jesus until one day, a Friday. And if you were to ask those men on that Friday, what's new, they'd say they killed him. He's dead. It's over on Saturday. What's new? Nothing for the first time in three years, since they'd met Jesus Christ, nothing under the sun was new. And then Sunday came Four weeks today, we celebrate that Sunday, that resurrection day. What's new? Jesus is alive. That's what's new. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. The tomb is empty. Hope, is, hope wins. Hell loses. What's new? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And see, here's the thing. It wasn't just that Jesus was alive. It's that some of his resurrection power seemed to get inside his followers. It's like his new life became their new life. And do you realize Jesus appeared to people over a period of 40 days? We're told that in in Acts chapter 1. That he kept showing up and and kept convincing people that he was really Jesus Christ 40 days. He appeared to uh, women. He appeared to men. He appeared to the disciples one time without Thomas, doubting Thomas. He appeared to them next time with Thomas. And then at one time, he appeared to 500 people at the same time over a period of 40 days. And then... We come to this day called Pentecost. Pentecost was um, 50 days after the, the second day of Passover. Jesus was killed at the Passover. And then 50 days later, there's this thing called Pentecost. And literally, Pentecost means 50th. In the Old Testament it referred to the feast of harvest or in another place it's called the the feast of uh, the day of first fruits where you would bring your grain offering this was they had celebrations for everything in the Old Testament this was big in the Jewish community so you would have this you would harvest the grain and then you would have this big party where you said God you did it again and you would bring the first part of your grain offering and you would offer it to the Lord cuz you said God you came through again So this was massive in the Jewish community. For them, it meant the end of the grain harvest. But for us, it has a little bit different meaning. Pentecost means the day the Holy Spirit came on the apostles. This is a big thing. If you have your Bibles or your your uh, new version, you version, (laughs) I am tired today. You can follow along or just watch the screen. It says this in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now Jesus had told them earlier in in Acts, he said, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Skip down to verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This was a massive deal. Everybody was crowded in Jerusalem. The streets were crowded. It's kind of like Mardi Gras without the beads and the booze, right? This was a religious deal. Maybe they had a little booze because they drank wine, but this was not like a Mardi Gras. This was massive celebration. God, you did it. It's a religious celebration. We are praising you, God, because you came through once again. And then in verse 9, it lists all of the different Jews and the different people represented in in this situation. And it said, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya, around Cyrene, uh, Rome... Jews and Judaism, both Jews and those who had converted, Cretans and Arabs. So I got 16, at least 16 different people groups that are crammed into the city for this day. And all of a sudden, they hear this massive noise. They don't know what's going on, and so they all go to investigate. They all come running, and and when they get there, they hear the story of Jesus and the miracle of Pentecost is that all of those people, all those people from all over the world, some of them Romans that have converted to Judaism, some of them Jews, but at least 16 different people groups, the miracle is they all hear the message of Jesus in their own language. They're amazed and they're they're scratching their heads. What what does this mean? So Peter stands up and tells them in verse 14. Then Peter steps forward With the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you assume nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that because everyone knows that when you get drunk and start talking about Jesus in a foreign language, it means you're drunk, right? Because that's what happens at bars all the time. People get drunk and they start speaking in Spanish. Now it may sound like Spanish, but it's not really understandable. And if they're talking about Jesus, everybody goes, they must be drunk. You speak Portuguese, woo, you're drunk. And you're talking about Jesus, you gotta be drunk, right? Because idiots, right? That's not, you you gotta be an idiot to think that. And that's kind of what Paul says. (laughs) Stands up and he goes, oh, it's nine o'clock in the morning. And that that was something they would not have done in that society. They wouldn't have started drinking that early. And so that is not what happened. This is an amazing moment in Christian history. Because when Jesus had been arrested, what did his disciples do? Did they stand up and defend him? No, they fled and they hid. And Peter not only did that, he denied Jesus three times. And the last time he cussed about it. I do not know him, cuss. Because when you put a cuss word at the end of a denial, everybody knows it's true. Right? I didn't do it, cuss. Oh, he must not have done it. Right? (laughs) Less than two months later, they're in the very same city with the same mob that killed Jesus, and the same Peter is risking his life. What's changed? What's new? Well, Peter's about to tell him. Verse 22, <clears throat> people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And the crowd's thinking, yeah, many of them had seen him. They had heard him. They'd, they know all about Jesus. Peter goes on. But God knew what would happen. This is awesome. God knew what would happen, and his, what is this next phrase? Say that out loud for me pre-arranged plan. That means God knew. God wasn't surprised that Jesus was betrayed. God knew. His pre-arranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Oops. Last of the verse. Got to get back there. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. So this is a terribly public event. Everybody has heard about this. Not only are all the Jews there, but also the Romans that helped kill killed Jesus, nailed him to the cross. They're there. And, and Paul says, you Jews and you godless Romans, you nailed him to the cross. This is a pretty bold thing for Peter to do. He goes on. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Now, since God knew this ahead of time, since God planned all of this, what that means is the resurrection is the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. One of the unique aspects of Christianity is you can know when it started. It has a definite day that it started on. Um, this is not true for Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, any other religion or philosophy. Christianity started in one place, one day, one moment with one man. On Saturday, it didn't exist. On Sunday, It existed. What's new? A dead man was walking, and nobody had ever seen that before. By the way, none of the other world religions ever claim that, that they have a dead man walking. So I'm going to follow the guy who came back to life. Christianity didn't arise from wise teaching. It didn't evolve from meaningful philosophy of life, wishful thinking. It didn't come from a mistaken autopsy report. The disciples were very, very clear about what happened to Jesus. Now, there's this man named Warren Wiersbe. He used to be a pastor and I have his, um, some of his commentaries. I love his commentaries. In fact, one time I read through the entire Bible and all I did was I'd read a passage and I'd read what Warren Wiersbe had to say about it, read a passage, went all the way through this, loved it. Well, he also had a radio show where he would take letters and he would answer questions. Well, one time somebody wrote a letter and said, our preacher said on Easter, Jesus was swooned Swooned, S W O O N E D, on the cross, and the disciples nurtured him back to health. What do you think? And it says, sincerely bewildered. Now, let me stop here and tell you what the swoon theory is. The swoon theory says Jesus didn't really die, that he swooned or passed out while he was on the cross. Everybody thought he was dead, and then his disciples nursed him back to health while he was in the cold, dark, damp tomb. Really? Because I think that's what EMT people do, EMS people do. When, when you are critically injured, they take you to a dark tomb and they nurse you back to health, right? No, because you would go into shock. Besides that, if Jesus had been, uh, if he had just passed out and been revived, when they brought him back to life, the, the Bible tells us he was beaten beyond recognition. They wouldn't have said, oh, my Lord and my God, the Son of Jesus, the Son of God. They would have said, let me get you a doctor because you look like you need a doctor. Right, So Weersby writes back and he answers the question. He says, Dear Bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for three hours, run a spear through his side to his heart, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours, and see what happens. Do you think he'd just pass out? <laughs> no. People sometimes think in this pre-scientific era, the disciples missed Jesus so much that they just kind of made it up, that it was like this group hallucination thing, that that, you know, kind of this mystical thing. Oh, we missed Jesus, so we're going to make up this myth and this legend that he really came back when he didn't really come back. You know, the quickest way to do in Jerusalem to, to refute Christianity, it would have died the first day, produce a body. But the tomb was empty. The Romans said it. The Jews said it. The followers of Jesus said it. When everybody agrees that the tomb is empty, what do you think the tomb was? Empty, thank you for playing. Now, (laughs) there's a lot of problems with the line of thinking that Jesus just passed out or something like that. One of them is that the the disciples were hiding in fear. Nobody expected Jesus to come back to life. They thought they were going to die too. Nobody was proclaiming Jesus. They were depressed because they watched him die and they thought that, that all their dreams died with him. Second thing is every disciple suffered some type of terrible persecution, and most of them died a horrible death because they said Jesus was alive. Don't you think somebody would have cracked of the 12? Somebody would have said, whoa, no, no, this is not worth giving my life for. I saw him, no, no, I really didn't. He's, He's dead. Somebody would have cracked because I don't know anybody who dies for something that they know is a lie. Even suicide bombers, as wrong as they are, they believe what they're doing. Now, if what Jesus says is true, then what the suicide bombers find is not heaven. They find eternity in hell. Wouldn't that be the worst thing in history? You think you're going to find 70 virgins and you go to hell. You burst it wide open. They believe what they're doing, but they're wrong. They're sincerely wrong. Besides all that, the New Testament contained eyewitness testimony that Jesus is alive. The resurrection story was not wishful thinking because nobody was wishing for it on Friday and Saturday. But the reality happened on Sunday. And just one small example of this eyewitness stuff, Uh, when Jesus was carrying the cross, we learn in Mark, a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. This is awesome here. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why in the world would Mark put those details in there? Because one of the sources for the, the book of Mark, Mark, John Mark was not one of the original followers of Jesus. He came along later, and so he researched all this. One of his sources would have been Simon. And, and when, when Mark is writing the book and, and it's passing around to all the churches, his sons, Rufus and Alexander. <laughs> some of you need to name your son Rufus. But this is beside the point. Rufus and Alexander were still alive. You could go ask them. So in ancient literature, when they named names, it was kind of like footnotes in our, in our modern um, literature. It, it references the sources. You can go talk to them. So what that means is, because there are names in there, because it's very detailed, it means that he has risen as fact, not wishful thinking. Whatever you believe about the Bible, it was intended then, it is intended now, to be a statement of reality by those who wrote it. That's why Peter is so straightforward when he says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all not sharers of mystic feeling, not, not um, promoters of some legend. What does it say? We are all what? Witnesses of this. Now, Peter expl- explains this in the face of great danger. In the very city where Jesus had been crucified, Later, Peter would be imprisoned, and he would, legend tell us, we don't know for sure, we know he was executed, but legend tells us he was executed upside down on a cross because he felt unworthy to die on a cross in the same manner that Jesus did. Now, I want you to see how Peter finishes this sermon. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other disciples, brothers, what should we do? Now, some, some translations say they're cut to the quick or they're cut to the heart, pierced to the heart. What that means is when you suddenly realize you've missed a massive opportunity in your life. 20 years ago, my son just turned 20, when we moved to Palestine 20 years ago, we had a little bit of uh, money left over from the sale of our home and I was studying mutual funds and I wanted to know where to put it and one of the things I was studying back then was gold. I was too chicken to do it though. I, I could not put this chunk of money in Gold because it was so volatile, right? Got a financial advisor right there. By the way, if you need financial peace, university, we're almost through with this one, but but we'll go through another one to help you out. But I just couldn't do it. If I had taken that money and put it in then today, it'd be worth over fifty thousand dollars. I'm pierced to the heart. Actually, I'm not because I don't I don't really work like that, but. To be pierced by the heart means you, you had an incredible opportunity. You missed that opportunity. You know you can't get it back. That's what these people thought. They realized that to know and love and follow and give your life to Jesus was the greatest opportunity that you'll ever have in this life. And they'd missed it. And they were throwing their life away on money or success or fame or fortune or reputation or whatever junk we throw our lives away to that Satan tempts us to throw our lives away to. And in a moment of unbelievable clarity... They say, is there no hope for us? What can we do? Look what Peter says. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent means a change in thinking which results in a change of actions. I, I repent, I realize I can't, I can't manage my life. My life is a mess. And then I come to Jesus and I say, I cannot clean myself up enough and I realize I don't have to. And I say, I'm surrendering all of my will, my life, my future, my destiny, my eternity over to this man, Jesus Christ. And starting at this moment in Jerusalem, all throughout the ancient world, people started giving their lives to Jesus. They started accepting his, uh, his offer of new life. And, and really, new life is what it means. Paul says this in in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's where we get the name of our church. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. And what kind of life has begun? New life. There should be a change when you come to Christ. You can't clean yourself up. You're not supposed to. You accept Christ. He cleans you up. Because of the power of his Holy Spirit. Now the truth about you is you can become a new person. It's true for anybody who gives their life to Jesus. And you know what they did all over the ancient world to, to demonstrate that they were followers of Jesus Christ? They were baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality. Now, it involves water because um, that's one of the closest things we have to a tomb. <laughs> it also involves water because, you know, we all know we need water to clean up, but the water doesn't clean you. When you're baptized, it, it demonstrates that you've already been cleansed. And you commit your life to this man, Jesus, you, re- you repent and get baptized. And the people did it that day. I want you to see the end of this. Acts two forty one. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now you notice, they didn't put off this what Jesus had to say about this. They didn't say, you know, I'll do the baptism thing someday when I get around to it. They didn't say, I'll schedule it when it's convenient or I feel like I, or when I feel like doing it after taking a class. They said, I can't wait, no more putting it off, I'm going to get baptized today. So, I'm going to end this sermon today the same way Peter ended his sermon. The water's warm over here. In fact, I have some robes. I have some. Oh, I got to show you these. I picked these out specially for the dudes. Where are they? Oh, if you need some happening shorts to be baptized in today, that's sexy, isn't it? I'm not supposed to use that word in church. So I'm going to challenge you to be baptized. And some of you are going, you mean I can sign up for baptism? No, you can get baptized. You mean I can take a class to be baptized? No, you just took it. Peter gave the first class on baptism. Well, I don't have clothes. Well, I don't care. Somebody needs to be baptized today. And some of you are thinking, well, you know, I'm a person of faith, and I believe all that, but, but my faith is a private thing. I'm not going to embarrass myself by doing something in front of all these people in public. If when Janie said yes, that she would marry me, what if I had said to her, you know, baby, this marriage thing is a very private thing to me. And I don't, I don't want to stand up in front of a bunch of people. I don't want to wear a ring. I don't want anybody to know that I'm married to you. Because it's kind of embarrassing. I can guarantee you there'd be three less children in the world today if I had said that. I can't imagine saying to Jesus, you died for me. You bought my life. But the very first thing that you want me to obey and do, I'm not doing that. Because I'm ashamed of you. Now, I'm laying it on heavy, I know. But some of you have been sitting in these chairs a long time. And you keep telling Jesus no. Today, somebody needs to be baptized. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. Some of you don't even know what it means. If you've never accepted Christ, here's what you do. You say, the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the way we say it around here is we pray and we say... Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin and lead my life? So if you've never done that and, and you know that it's time to come into the kingdom of God, you're tired of playing games, you're tired of doing life your way. Then you say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please be the leader of my life. And then you pray something like this. As best I know how, I give you my life And I ask for your life in return. God, I want to thank you that you're still in the business of redeeming, reclaiming and restarting the lives of men and women. Some of us have had do-overs but we've never given our hearts and our lives to you. Maybe it's time we do it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to be baptized, come over here. Sweet have turned on some lights there, Gary Still warm. Come on, Cody. You don't want to get those nice boots. I actually had no idea if anybody was going to come. So thank you, Jesus. Say what? Okay. Hop in there, buddy. Everybody say hi, Cody. Hey, Cody. <laughs> Cody's in my small group. Cody said one of the coolest things to me. He said, uh, he said I've been thinking about being baptized. And um, he said, this church, our small group, has, has helped him be a better man. And, and so he wants to, he wanted to, to, to stand before God and before you and proclaim that he is in the kingdom. He's been baptized before. It's been a long time ago, but he wants to be rebaptized today. Cody, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Yes. Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the father, the son, the Holy spirit. Hold your hand, bend your knees. We're going to go down slow. Sweet. Come on. Now this is uh, you're going to have to tell me which twin you are. I always forget. You're which one? Emerald. Emerald. Emmy. I remember Emmy. Everybody say hi, Emmy. Hi, Emmy, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Bend your knees. Awesome. Grab one of those robes. Give her a robe too. Who's next? Come on, Daniel. This is Daniel Manueli. Everybody say hi Daniel. hi, Daniel. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins? By the way, is somebody filming? Got it. Come up closer. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, I'm proud of you, buddy. And I'll baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did y'all see that? He was baptizing himself. <clears throat> Come on up, Ella. Hey, Ella. Everybody say hi Ella. hi, Ella. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Bend your knees. Go all the way. There you go. Awesome, right here. Come on up. I've met you, but I forgot your name. Tell me your name. Alan. Come on in here. Everybody say hi, Alan. Alan. Dude, I'm proud of you for coming up here. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hold your hand here. Bend your knees. There you go. He's ready. Awesome. Awesome. Colton. Dude, come on up here. You've been away. Colton. Everybody say hi, Colton. Scott, Scott, I'm sorry. This is Scott. I'm sorry. Scott. Hi, Scott. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and leader of your life? Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Grab your hand, bend your knees. Awesome. Awesome. You're have to tell me your name. Andorra. Everybody say hi Andora. hi, Andora. Have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Wow. You coming too? It's Casey. Everybody say, hi Casey. hi, Casey. Casey's also in my small group. Cody, where'd he go? He get to see. Oh, dude, tell him to get in here. This is his wife. They just had a new baby. When I said, you don't have to ask what's new. And... <laughs> she went to the concert last night. And it was one of those things. That's the first time you've left her. I said, she'll get over it. We, we cry, but the babies don't, you know, where'd he go? Awesome. Anybody know how many? I don't even know how many. How many? How many? Eight. Holy cow. Bless the Lord. Come on up here, buddy. Come help me. Oh, you got them on. Sweet. Somebody got to get a video of that. This is awesome. I remember when they came, Casey was one of those. She would grill me every time. What's our names? What's our names? That's how I remember. Come on up. You're going to help me. Too cool. They've been in our small group. How long y'all been coming? About a year. Cool. Casey, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. You take one hand, I'll take one hand. Bend your knees. sweet. Awesome. Anyone else? Come on up. This is Nicole. Now be sure I've got to have this on video. Uh, today, Nicole and I've been talking and, and, uh, she cracks me up because she says every time, you know, God's dealing with something, then I come up and I bring it up. And, and so we've had these long conversations and she, she's a Christ follower, but it's been it, kind of like a, a similar stories in, in our church. A lot of folks wander away, come back. She wanted her grandmother to be able to see this. So we got to have a good video. I don't know who's video on it, but somebody has got to get it good. Oh, right there. Because grandma was going to be here, but she's fallen and, uh, so she couldn't be here today, but we're going to, we're going to show her a, a, a video. So everybody say, hi Nicole. hi, Nicole. What's your grandma's name? Arlene. Everybody say, hi Arlene. hi, Arlene. Nicole, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Because you have, this is her husband, Greg. Everybody say hi, Greg. Greg, Greg and I are going to baptize you in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. Come all the way up here to the end. Bend your knees. We're going to go down slow. Sweet. You going in? Okay. What are we up to now? 10? This will be 11? Tell me your name. I know. I forgot. What's your name? Jay? Everybody say, hi, Jay. That's my brother from a different mother. Yeah. He's been coming with the Ward family. What? What? Francis family, but I know y'all been coming to the even coming early for the for the men's study. That's you were always back there, so you're you're with. Uh, well, come up here, come stand and support it. Jay, have you asked Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Yes, sir. Because you have, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Benjaminese. Awesome. Right here, buddy. <laughs> wow. Almost didn't do that. Because I was afraid nobody would be baptized. But I felt like that's what the Lord wanted us to do today. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for being willing to do something so personal. Yet Yet I believe so necessary in your walk with Christ. Because if Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So if you don't obey, Jesus says, you you don't really love him. Now, I know we make mistakes, but the pattern of our life should be obedience, obedience. When we fall, we need to confess that, we need to get back to obedience. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Oh, Father, I'm overwhelmed by your goodness and your grace. Today was a special day because you were here and because you moved in the hearts of your people. Thank you for the testimonies of new life. And God, it's my prayer that this is just the beginning, that you would expand our territory, that you would expand the influence of this church so that. Someday within the driving distance of New Life Community Church, there's not a single person who hasn't heard about Jesus Christ and been given the opportunity to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We bless your name and we pray it in your name, Amen. Three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. That's how we give offerings. Did you turn me off, or did I may have gotten wet? Um, that's great for electronics. Oh, so we have joy basket, or you can give online nlccp.com we have a registration card basket if you are interested in um, small groups or if you're interested in being baptized in the future or uh, baby dedication coming up uh, may 10th then put that on the back of your card or prayer concerns or, or answers to prayer third is our bagel basket how many of you walked across the parking lot today saying oh dear god could we please have concrete Yes, so everything that goes in there uh, will eventually, <laughs> it will. Yes, we're not going to buy another 38 acres. That's what we were going to do last with that money. So stand up, tell somebody that Jesus loves them, and you do too. You're dismissed.